0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. Psalm 81, verse 13. I want to read the whole chapter to you. It's uh, it's about 16 verses We'll try to read it quickly. Hallelujah. Oh, that the Holy Ghost would give me the gift of brevity. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, I don't want to hold you too long this morning. Uh, I don't want God to have to speak to me the way he did Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Um, and so I'm going to try to minister the word to you this morning without turning it into a hostage situation. Um, but let's, let's read this morning, Psalm 81. We're going to read the whole chapter Let's, let's move a little quickly, but the premise of this psalm is that God is recounting the salvific history of Israel from the time that God sent Moses... To call Israel out of bondage in Egypt to the time he brought them into the wilderness and he gave them the law and he gave them manna from heaven and he defeated their enemies and over and over he said, I want to bring you into the promised land. I want to bless you. I want to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to give you victory. I want to give you blessing. I want to do good to you, but only walk in in my ways. Over and over. Read Deuteronomy. And when God reminds His people of His covenant, He says, only this. This is all I want. I've saved you by grace. Remember the blood of the Passover lamb. You were a wicked, rebellious people, just like Egypt. You were just like the world. And I chose to save you by grace. But if you want to inherit my blessings, you got to walk in my ways. Amen? Because if I give you the blessings of God before you begin to walk in my ways then whatever I give you, you'll destroy. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I have two boys. One's 11, one's 9 and both of them want from me they want all the things that boys want and the older boy got a knife a little pocket knife a few months ago and my nine-year-old is telling me daddy can I have a knife I want a knife I want a knife I want a knife and I said before you get a knife it's gonna be months of talking What's the purpose of a knife? What do you use a knife for? What do you not use a knife for? Should you ever try to hurt somebody with a knife? Is it ever okay? What do you cut open? Do you get permission? Or do you just start cutting things? Because I know when my parents gave me a knife, I went and I had holes in the wall in my bedroom, I'm not joking, sitting there with a knife, throwing it in the sheetrock, sticking it, I still got the hole, it's still in my room, they never patched it, I think they do it on purpose, just so I walk in and they remember while they're gray and tired and worn out, they just leave it there on purpose, like we're not, we're not fixing that, we just want to remind you, and so I know that their proclivity will be to take a good thing that a boy needs to learn to use eventually to be a Man, their temptation will be to take it and use it for things it's not intended for and end up getting that blessing taken away, right? Getting it taken. It's theirs. My daddy and my mama have gone every time we had a baby, which is a lot, right? We just had number six, and they'll they'll go, let that sink in. Pray for me. Amen. Pray. For the man of God. And every time we had a baby, maybe this is a redneck tradition, I don't know, hillbilly, some them from North Carolina, I live in Louisiana, so we're all about the South. And so every time we've had a child, they'll go and buy them a pocket knife and they'll get it. And it's got their name on it. And when they're old enough, they'll get it. And so it's theirs. It belongs to them. We want them to have it, but you gotta be ready for it. Amen. You can't take a good thing and turn it into a bad thing. You can't take a blessing and turn it into a curse. I want to give it to you, but you've got to be responsible enough to have it. And God says, if you will only walk in my ways, if you'll only let me teach you how I want you to live, and so here in this passage, God is recounting all of this and grieving for the season that Israel is in, that they are not walking in his ways, and how he wishes that they were because he longs to bless them. So let's let's look at this passage, Psalm 81, verse 1 through 16. It says, sing aloud to our God, shout for joy to the God of Jacob, raise a song, sound the tambourine, the, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. Verse 4. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. This is after he's brought him out of Egypt and he's brought him into the wilderness to test him and give him the law. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would, but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Verse 11, but listen to this. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. Verse 12, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Listen to those words. Oh, that my people, is he saying that they're not his people? Has He disowned them? Has He thrown them away? Has He said, you don't belong to me? Has He said, you're not good enough for me? No, this is a call to the people to worship on the day of Passover and remember the blood of the Lamb. To remember that by the blood they were set apart. By the blood they were made His people. By the blood they were sanctified. By the blood they've been given all the covenants, all the promises, all the blessings. It belongs to you. And by the Blood. you are my people I associate with you I identify with you I love you you are mine and I am yours but you are my people but you are my people who will not listen to my ways do you hear the the possessive words my people my ways my people my ways but my people and they are my people But they will not walk in my ways. And the brokenness of the heart of God for his people, that they will not walk in his ways. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Verse 14. Can I tell you, this is why you've got a pastor. Amen. The evangelist is to get you saved so that you can become God's people, the pastor, is to help lead you in the ways of the Lord. Not so that you can earn being His people. Amen? Because if that was the case, none of us pastors would be His people. You can believe that, brother. God often chooses the weakest among us to lead us. Amen? Isn't that the case in the Word of God? God takes the people least qualified and makes them qualified by grace. Amen? So it's not to earn getting to be His people. It's to say, God's given you a shepherd to teach you to walk. In the way, amen, to teach you the ways of the Lord so that you can walk in His ways. He said, verse 14, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward Him and their fate would last forever. But He would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with the honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Your enemies that oppress you and fight against you and the things that overwhelmingly come against you, I would actively fight on your behalf. I would war with your enemies. They wouldn't be fighting you with you. They would be fighting with me. It's like going to a playground and pushing a little kid down. And his six foot nine daddy stands up all 250 pounds of him and says, excuse me, what are you doing to my son? Right? He says, I want to step in and defend you and take care of you. But every time I build a wall of protection, you tear it down. Every time I push the enemies away, you draw them in by being like them. Every time I want to give you victory, you create your own defeat. Do you see what he's saying? I want to give you victory. You're asking me, give us victory. And he's going, I want to give you victory. Stop tearing down your own walls. Stop cursing your own self. How many of you remember Balaam and Balak? You remember? Curse them for me. Curse them for me. But God's blessed, I can't curse. There is nothing that can come against that blessing that is a hedge of protection. God's going to take care of me, says but we'll teach them. We'll go down and teach them to behave like the people around them. Take the Moabites who are corrupt and evil and ungodly and don't go with swords and shields. Go with makeup and flattering eyes and go with money, go with confusion, go with with politeness, go with sweetness and go seduce them and let them bring a curse on themselves. You can't curse what God's blessed, but they can push the blessing away and invite a curse on themselves. Amen? And so he says, I want to defeat your enemies, and I want to feed you with honey from the rock, but my people have got to learn to walk in my ways. Amen. Amen? And so I want to talk to you this morning about God's ways as a cultural mandate this is the responsibility that we have it is to walk in God's ways in a way that affects the culture around us and it starts in the church it starts in the home it starts in our family with our children and our loved ones and our neighbors and our friends and our church and our community and it ought to spread out into the world until the world begins to participate in the ways of the Lord and begins to see the good things that that God has done my brother talked about how the freedoms that we have in America were purchased by people with their own blood who wanted to walk according to the wisdom of God's words and how many people in this world have no appreciation for God no respect for God but they are reaping the benefits of a culture influenced by godliness amen, amen. and so we'll end in Genesis talking about the cultural mandate to walk in his ways can we pray this morning Lord Almighty, we thank you. We love you. We ask you to help us this morning. To honor your word. To submit our hearts to your word. God Almighty let us be like the Thessalonians. Who Paul said. The word that you received is at work in you. God Almighty let us hear and understand. And let us submit to the work of the word of God. Let it turn and move. And and do all that it's supposed to do. Not so we can be more informed. But so that we can be transformed. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And amen. He says, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. God longs for his people to act like him. Amen. This is what God wants. God wants his people to act like him. He says, my ways. God was grieving the fact that his people wouldn't adopt his ways and he longed for them to walk in his ways so that he could fulfill his promises to them. The constant conflict in the scriptures is not as much between God and the world as much as it is between God and his people. Amen? That is if you read the word of God it is a story of God and his people. Amen. There's a natural enmity between God and the world. Amen. A natural enmity. But the focus on the word of God is between God and his people that he intends to reach the world and there's a constant conflict between God and his people where they're always apostatizing, always going astray, always being influenced by the culture around them and God is beckoning and calling and wooing like a parent that sees a way wayward child saying, I love you. You're still mine. I want you, but you can't go out and act that way. You can't do those things. And he's pleading and begging and wooing and drawing for his people to come in and behave as his people. Why is it so common for God's people to struggle with walking in his ways? Let's consider that if this is a constant issue, why is it an issue? Because we often do not see the wisdom of God's ways and are too stubborn to let him teach them to us. I was that child. I would do it wrong and you would try to show me what to do and I'd go, no, I want to figure it out on my own. My father would tell me over and over something I didn't understand till I had children. But he would say, son, you don't believe fire burns, do you? And I, I finally understood what he meant. He could tell me over and over, that's hot, it'll burn you, don't touch it. And in my mind, I cannot learn by instruction, I must learn by experience. And so you can't tell me, it's going to burn, it's going to burn, it's going to burn. I've got, I've just got to, it's in my bones. I've got to reach out and put my hand into the fire and go, oh, I'm so surprised it burned me. Oh no, right? And the father goes, oh. Oh help me right and so this is the case we are too stubborn to learn his ways so often we wince and turn away from god's ways because we think they are unnecessarily difficult non-pragmatic or unfair those three things we turn away from the ways of god because of this we don't understand them and when we are told god's ways we think that his ways are unnecessarily difficult non-pragmatic or unfair unnecessarily difficult God I know that your word says do this, but that's just too hard, and I don't see why I have to do it that way. It just seems so, there is an easier path right here. I mean, look at it. It's a path, and it's broad, and wide, and easy, and comfortable, and there are no crosses down that road. There's no struggle down that road. It's my wisdom, and it looks just like my ideas, and I think this is what I should do. Look at that. It's just like it. Why is your way full of difficulty and hard, and it's narrow, and the gate's small? And I got all my stuff, and I got to put all the stuff down to scoot between the gate. Especially me trying to get through that gate, and you scoot in, and it's just, it's just unnecessarily difficult. I don't see why it has to be so hard. Your God, you can do anything, can't you? Make it easier. It's un, we think it's unnecessarily difficult. We think it's non-pragmatic. Well, that's a good ideal, but, but it won't work out for me. If I do that, things won't work out well. I see the consequences of that, and it looks hard. It looks difficult. It looks like it's going to cost too much, and I don't think it's going to work anyway. Wait a minute, you mean... You mean if if someone is my enemy and they treat me badly, I'm supposed to treat them well and then hope that it puts hot coals of conviction on their head when I love them after they cursed me? Well, that's a risk. I don't think it's really going to work. They're going to curse me. I'm going to bless them. And they're going to go, thank you for the blessing and finish with a curse and walk away. And they're not going to appreciate it or respect it, right? I mean, it just it's non-pragmatic. Don't you see the... In the non pragmatic or non pragmatism of Jesus on, in John 13 saying, One of you, not has a devil, is a devil, and you are going to betray me. And he knew Judas would never repent. And yet, when he washed the disciples' feet, he treated Judas no different. He got on his hands and his knees and took the feet of the betrayer into his hands. And washed the dirt off of his feet. And blessed him and did good for him. Knowing this won't turn his heart. This won't bring conviction. This won't persuade him that my love is better than a few pennies of money. It won't show him the greatness of the love of God or God's mercy. He will not repent. It won't work. Right? It won't work. And that's what we want to know. Will it work? Preacher. You tell me that if I love my wife as Christ loved the the church, that that redemptive love is wooing. But are you guaranteeing me that she will submit to me and honor me and respect me and treat me well? No, she may walk all over you like a rug. I want to laugh with you, but it, it grieves me. I've seen it over and over. Preacher, you're telling me that Scripture says even if some husbands do not obey the word, submit to them as unto the Lord? And that that will convict his heart and some may be won without a word? Even by the chaste conduct of their wives? But maybe he'll take advantage of it and won't appreciate it all. Yes, he may. But isn't this like Jesus? The point is not pragmatism. It's not subtle manipulation. Well, if I treat him honorably when he's being dishonorable, maybe he'll get convicted and then begin to behave honorably. That is not obedience to God. It's manipulation. God, your ways are not pragmatic. The point is not to be pragmatic. The point is to be like Jesus. Amen. The point is that his ways often seem unfair. Forgive them. How many times? 70 times 7 per day? Have you met them? They will fill that up. They will do 69 times 69. Like they, they, they will do it. They will take full advantage. Every day forgive them. That doesn't seem fair to me. How I've treated them and how they're treating me, it doesn't seem fair. And we let those carnal reasons stop us from walking in the ways of the Lord and receiving the blessing. God's ways are unpopular because they are often counterintuitive to the flesh. Consider these biblical principles to live... You must die. To get resurrection, you must take up the cross. To be honored, you must become a servant. To be the chiefest, you must become the least. To be first, you must be last. To overcome your enemies, you must love them. To be righteous, you must first acknowledge your unrighteousness. To be found, you must first be lost. To be lifted up, you must first be made low. To lead, you must first follow. And to have integrity, you occasionally have to let someone smear your name without defending yourself. I have preached these ways and then found it difficult to live in them. Sounds so good in theory. Sounds so good. And then to have to live the Lord. Like I preached the cross, but it was a very varnished, pretty smooth cross. And then when I took it up, there were splinters and blood on that thing. And it was gross and it didn't feel, and it was so heavy. Hard counterintuitive. Do you do you look at the cross and think blessing? If that is your first response, you've been too churchified. You've been in it too long. You ought to see that cross and think curse. That's what every person in that day thought. They saw a cross and they thought condemnation, public humiliation, shame, destruction, the end of life. And Jesus took it upon Himself willingly and said, if you want to follow me, come and take up your cross. But what is the representation of that in the communion that we just took? Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And what did he do? He took the bread and blessed the bread and broke the bread and gave the bread. And you say, Lord, I want my life to be blessed. Okay, let's get you to the cross. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to break you, and I'm going to give you out to this world. It looks like cursing, but it's really blessing. Amen? Praise God. A few examples of God's way. Well, I'll just tell you, God's ways might be difficult, but they are good. Hosea chapter 14, verse 9 says, The ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. The ways of the Lord are good ways. Amen? The ways of the Lord are right ways. The ways of the Lord are the best ways. Amen. This is what I want to teach my children. I'm learning grace. I'm learning gra- I've been preaching grace for years, but I'm learning grace. I'm learning to treat others with grace, and I'm learning to parent my own children with grace. I've found that I've preached grace for from- from the pulpit and giving my children law. And I'm learning not to be that anymore. Amen. And what I've found is I don't want to just tell my children, you got to do it because I said it. There's a point in life where that's necessary. But eventually, the goal should be to move away from that to not, you got to do it because I say so, but I want to show you the goodness of the ways of the Lord I want to show you that his ways are better ways that his ways are more enjoyable ways that his ways are fruitful ways and you might not understand it now but you'll understand it later a few examples of God's ways humility you humble yourself Don't think too much of yourself. Acknowledge your own weakness, your own insufficiencies. Don't think the worst of other people and the best of yourself. Well, they did wrong because they wanted to do wrong and their hearts are wicked. I did wrong because I made a mistake and I didn't know better. And you know, I'm so sincere. I love the Lord. I'd never do it on purpose. But they're terrible and I'm right. Maybe maybe you need to humble yourself a little bit. Amen? What about faith? These are the ways of the Lord. God says, if you want to walk in my ways, you've got to trust me. We walk not by sight, but by faith. Trust in the living God. Why? Because faith often requires us to do the opposite of what looks like the best thing to do. Amen? It requires us to often do the opposite of what looks like the best thing to do. Uh, Don't you dare sit down and read the book of Judges and watch God tell them to walk around that city once a day for seven days and then on the seventh day to do it seven times and think, well, that's rational. God told them to do it. They should just do it and then trust God. You're telling me you wouldn't feel stupid. You're telling me you wouldn't feel ridiculous going, we're a bunch of former slaves, we're poor, we don't have any modern warfare, we have no army, no training, we're a bunch of people who've been walking around in the wilderness that happen to have a few swords, and we're going to go up to this place, and what is our great strategy from the wisdom of the councils of God in heaven? You're going to go and walk around the city and be quiet. Oh, the profoundness of his wisdom, right? You think, what foolishness, what silliness, right? How silly is this? But that is the point. Do you trust me greater than you trust tactics, right? Do you trust me? Can I do something? And the point is, God says, I want, I see your weakness. And you're thinking, well, hopefully we'll, we'll rise up to meet the occasion and have enough strength in whatever weakness we have. Maybe God will just make up that little bit of difference. God says, I want to get you to do something that demonstrates you're utterly weak. You have no tactical advantage. You don't have the weapons. You can't do it. But in faith, you're going to say, we're going to claim that this place is ours because every place the sole of your foot shall tread. I have given you as an inheritance. Will you go and claim what looks like it's impossible for you to receive? This looks mighty silly, but we're going to trust God to do it. Amen. And they go and they do it. And then God brings the city down with one shout. What would happen if we walked in the ways of the Lord? Faith, love, the cross. These are the ways of God. Do you know it says in 1 Corinthians 1.25 of the cross it says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men that men look at the cross and they think foolishness silliness it makes no sense go and listen to Christopher Hitchens the famous atheist and he says the cross is divine child abuse the father in heaven torturing his son on off on, on earth what a cruel strange evil religion and you ought to be able to look at that and go you know, the cross is, is a kind of a strange thing, kind of a weird thing. Why would God choose to save the world that way? He says he chose it because it looks foolish to you on purpose so that for you to come to him, you've got to come according to God's wisdom and not your own that's the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, is that God has made the, the wisdom of the world to become nothing. Amen? God has chosen to fight against the wisdom of the world and to say that the foolishness of God, right, that's what it looks like, foolishness, is wiser than men. You think my ways are foolish, you think your ways are wise, I'll put your ways up against my ways and we'll see who wins. Amen? And God says, look at your ways, destruction, death." Chaos, broken homes, broken families, ungodliness, a a wicked society full of these evil, creating victims of all different kinds. And look at this cross that looks so silly, but look at the people gathered around the cross, redeemed and saved, changed by the grace of God, comforted, encouraged, given joy, given peace, given deliverance, given wholeness, families, reconciled. Amen. Praise God. This is what the Lord does. And so these are the ways of the Lord. I want to show you an example this morning of why God calls us to walk in his ways, because the only other option is to walk in the ways of the world. To walk in the ways of the world. And I want to show you a culture of flagrant sin and violence which destroyed the world. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 11 and 12. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Turn there with me quickly, and then we'll go to Genesis 18. Genesis chapter 6. This is where we're talking about culture. So we've talked about the ways of the Lord and how that needs to become a cultural influence that as you personally accept the responsibility to walk in the ways of the Lord and it starts in the church. Amen. She looked at me crossways. She didn't treat me right. No one appreciates me. I don't like what they said. They didn't say something about my outfit. I mean, you would I've seen church splits over who what color we paint the front door. We're going to paint it red. It's warm and inviting. That's the devil's color. You want to paint it red like, oh my goodness. Just the silliness that people can split a church over. cause chaos over. But if it starts in the church and as it starts with you and it starts with your church relationships and your home and your wife and your husband and your children and it begins to disseminate and spread out and move over the place, it becomes a culture of godliness. But you have to first recognize that you're not in a culture of godliness. You're in a culture of unrighteousness and violence. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, 11 through 12, it says this, Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 11 through 12, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. Why? Listen, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Their ways, their behavior, the way that they lived, the way that they treated one another over and over, one decision at a time. It didn't happen all at once. It wasn't a light switch. It was one decision. It was one choice. It was one relationship, one action, one purpose. thing that happened after another until it accumulated into a culture of violence and flagrant sin and ungodliness to where it's just such an environment of sinfulness that it's the only available option. Everyone just following what other people are doing and you see it in our nation as it rejects the word of God, rejects the gospel, moves further away from the truth of Christ, it slides further and further and further into ungodliness and sin and destruction. This is what happens. So God saw all of this in chapter six and started over with one man, Noah. Amen. That's the point. God saw the whole civilization corrupt. And he said, I see one man, Noah, and I'm going to bring him out. And he's going to minister, and he's going to preach righteousness, and I'm going to give him salvation, and he builds an ark, and God brings judgment on the rest of the world, and God starts over with Noah, and then his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and then all of a sudden you find that seed of sin still remained. And Noah, Noah sinned and failed the Lord. You see, his son failed and sinned against the Lord. And so this constantly happens with this starting over with one man. It's starting with Adam, then he fails. Then starting over with Noah, then he fails. Then starting over with Abraham, then he fails. And starting over with the nation, Israel. And they fail and start over with David. And he fails until all of a sudden you get to starting over with Jesus. Amen? Starting over with Jesus. And Jesus never failed. Amen. Yeah. Jesus never failed. So it's constant effort to get us back to Jesus. Amen. And so we see that he started over with Noah. But the nations became corrupt and idolatrous again. So God started over again with one man, Abraham. And so you look at the culture around you. The society that's around you. And you see the evil and sin. And the things that are springing up in the culture around us. And it's just Awful. It's ungodly. And you know what I've heard over and over and what I said before I got married and had children was, man, this world is so evil and ungodly. I don't even want to have children in this world because I don't want them to have to to live and experience the things that are going on in this world. But that showed I had a lack of confidence in God's ways and His ability to get a hold of the heart of people as I walked in His ways and disseminated it out to others. Amen. Look at this with me in Genesis 18. Genesis 18 and verse 19. Genesis 18 and verse 19. This is creating a culture of righteousness and blessing in the midst of corruption. Amen. Creating a culture of righteousness and blessing in the midst of corruption. Genesis verse eight, Genesis chapter 18 verse 19. It says of Abraham. This is God speaking. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way. Of the Lord. Amen. I chose Abraham so that I could go to him and say, You're in the world. You're in with your father's house, live in his ways, acting his ways, doing his ways, doing the things of the world. And I'm gonna call you out. And you're still so filled with so many of those ways, and you're trouble, and you're a mess, and you're broken, and man, you would not fit in anywhere in God's people. I wouldn't make Abraham a deacon. I wouldn't unlock, let him unlock the church in the morning. I mean, this guy was a mess, and you God said, I didn't save you in perfection. I saved you in grace and I'm going to change you along the way. I'm going to teach you my ways. I'm going to be patient with you and I'm not going to let you stay the way that you are. We were saved to be changed. He heals our broken feet so that we can walk in his ways. We were taken out of darkness so that we could shine his light. He says, I'm saving you. I'm changing you. Why? So that you can Keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Isn't that what the Lord said he wanted to do in chapter 13? These things that I promised, defeating your enemies, feeding you with honey out of the rock. He said, these are my promises and I want to give it to you. If only you'll walk in my ways. This is rooted all the way back in Genesis 18 verse 19, where he says, if only you'll walk in my ways, I'll give you what is promised and it'll go from you, Abraham down to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and it'll spread out through my people. And lots of times they'll go astray, but I'm constantly at work to bring a revival of my word, a revival of my ways, teaching them, instructing them, showing them the way that they should go. And one day the word of the Lord says this in the prophets, that one day the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the oceans... As the waters covers the sea. That's what he said. Complete saturation in the glory of God. The ways of the Lord will be adapted everywhere. And this is the promise in the book of Revelation. It says that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God that God is at work in his people to teach them his ways and then send them back out into the world and to begin to disseminate the ways of the Lord till all of a sudden the nations look up and go we serve the Lord as for me and my house we're gonna serve the Lord you can do what you want to but we're gonna walk in God's ways we're gonna behave according to the Word of God we're gonna let God convict us and God lead us and God deal with us and so this is the mandate that we have not to all huddle in here And go, are you safe? Are you okay? Let's hide in here and be safe. Don't let the world come in and influence us. You're not saved to be a hermit. You're saved to go out and change the culture. Don't hide the light. Take the light into the world. Amen. No man lights a candle and puts it under a basket. He puts it up on a shelf so that the world can see it. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I put light in you and I elevated you so that the world could see you and be drawn to you. This is the promise of the Lord. Amen.